Um, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we now turn our attention to your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and cause us to hear what you would have us hear. Cause us to see Jesus, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Our text this morning is Ephesians uh, chapter 5. I'm going to start at, the, at, at verse 21 and read through to 6, 9. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for he, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband's. husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, that this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Today, thus, thus ends the reading of the word. Today we are going to talk about relationships. Many, if not most of you, are very familiar with the passage that I just read, particularly the first section about husbands and wife, even if you're not married. Which makes sense, since Ephesians 5, 21 to 33 is one of the most beneficial passages in the entirety of scriptures related to what a godly marriage is to look like. Today, however, we are not specifically going to be looking at the issue of husbands and wives, at least in isolation. 
The section about husbands and wives is directly associated with two other family examples that immediately follows the section about husband and wives, that of children and parents, and that of bond servants and masters. And I say family relationships because that is what the original hearers of this passage would have understood them to be. Since there are three, all three of these relate to family relationships as understood within the church of Ephesus at this time. For us, the one that doesn't really fit as a family relationship is that of master and slaves or bondservants. That is because we don't have such relationships in our American culture. However, many, if not most of those in Ephesus did and were very familiar with them. It is estimated that about 30% of the population at that time would have been classified as a bondservant or as a slave, as this term. And, and this meant that there were also a number of masters and there were a bunch of bondservants within the church in Ephesus. This difference in culture is even part of the reason for the difference in translation of the term that is translated, and as I read, as bondservants, but in the NASB and other translations, it comes out as servants or as slaves. And a huge part of this translation issue is that when we think of slaves, we often think of slavery as was represented here in America. That is not what is meant in this passage. In Ephesus at this time, these slaves or bondservants were often in these relationships voluntarily. Often it was only a temporary arrangement, and not always, but often, and, and they had rights, and they also could do things like own property, and they could even buy their own freedom. And while there remained a clear distinction between slave and free, these people were, were routinely incorporated into the family system, not as sons or daughters, but as family members or members of the group, often with the same loyalty to the group or the family because as their family did, so did they. Now, this is absolutely not a, a defense of slavery in any form, and anyone who ever tries to take this passage and turn it into a defense of slavery is absolutely in error. My point is merely to clarify that when the original hearers heard this, they would have lumped this into the category of family or group relationships similar to the first two examples. In this passage, Paul was directly addressing how this community of faith, this new community of faith, related to each other beginning with the family. And when you think about it, it makes sense he would have to address this, particularly at this time. All this freedom in Christ stuff and equality in Christ stuff and brother and sister stuff and no difference between slave and free stuff could easily be misunderstood and misused, and it was. Paul was addressing in this section how this new community needed to understand their relationships and, and what it meant in their culture. But that's not what I'm going to talk about today. <laughs> I, I, wanted, I, I want to talk about what is often the real problem in relationships, especially these very important and intimate relationships, such as within a family or within a church. You see, we, we have a major problem, 
that we need to get over. And it is the mentality that it all starts and ends with me. From the time that we first start to use language or develop concepts, one of the first words or concepts that we learn is me or my. My food, my diaper, my mommy, my comfort. And then as we grow, we don't seem to be able to get beyond the concept. My future, who loves me, my freedom, my rights, my independence, me, me, me. And courtesy of the American culture, which kind of fertilizes this, and the reality of our fallen state and the reality of ongoing sin, we continue with this self-centered worldview for the rest of our lives. My comfort, my retirement plan, my happiness, my bank account, my opinions, my property, my feelings. And in the spiritual things, the biggest challenge we have is this issue of who gets to sit on the throne of my life. Me, me, me. It's just being human, at least a fallen human, apart from the redemptive work of God. God, however, has something different in mind for us as individuals, as families, as his body, the church. And, and this specifically comes out in relationships within the family. And, and here's the irony. It turns out that it is all about me. But not about me and what I get out of relationships or how such relationships benefit me, but about me and how I am supposed to behave in those relationships, which is usually for someone else's benefit. And as we addressed two weeks ago, for us in the church, it's also out of reverence for the one who has made us and saved us. It is still all about us. It is all about how we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, which means putting each other's well-being and rights above our own well-being and rights. It means subordinating our rights to each other. The, the New American Standard translates the word that mine says as submit as to be subject to. It does remain about me, about us, but it's about how we act towards others, not about how people act towards us. Proper familial relationships within the church involve submitting to each other not becoming a doormat or debasing yourself because you still are a temple of the holy God. And, and there are certainly complicated situations such as cases of abuse or destructive behaviors. And, and clearly other scriptural principles must always be involved in any conversation. But most of the time, these, those complicated situations are not the kind of situations we're faced with. And, and we cannot let the exception determine the rule. Most of the time, it is merely an issue of the self-centered worldview we got from the fall that has been nurtured by this sin-ruled culture of humanity. And it can be really hard to hear this text and keep the correct focus. 
When I was an intern during the summer of my freshman year in college, I had a conversation with a pastor about a certain husband in the congregation. This husband uh, had come into the pastor's office and demanded that the pastor get his wife to behave like she was supposed to according to this passage. After listening to all the ways that this man's wife was not doing what she was supposed to do, the pastor pointed out that the real issue appeared to be that the husband was not doing what he was supposed to do. The husband had missed the point of the scripture that he was thumping. Yes, it addressed how his wife was to act toward him, but that part of the text was for her. The part of the text that was for him was about how he was to behave towards his wife. And nowhere does it say that it is the husband's job to get the wife to act the way wives are supposed to act. He was missing the point that it is up to each of us to do what we are supposed to do, which is not be self-centered, and to think of the other first, and seek others' well-being first, and not to be focused on what others are supposed to do toward us. The same is true in the parent-child relationship or in the slave-master relationship. It, it can even be extended to other relationships, particularly within the church. We are responsible to act the way we are supposed to act, and is not, it is not our job to get others to act the way they are supposed to act. And the audience Paul was writing to would have likely heard this loud and clear simply because of how radically different what he was saying was to their culture. Wife, submit, not news. Of course. Husband, loving their wives as themselves. What did he just say? That didn't fit in their culture. Slaves, obey your earthly master? No big deal. Masters, be ever aware that your slave ultimately serves the same master to whom you also will be accountable. Hold it. What did Paul just say? The, the contrast with their culture and the newness of this gospel life would have been heard loud and clear. The man who stood up and yelled at his son, See, you are supposed to obey me and honor me, would likely have been corrected by those listening, saying he was missing the point. And they also might have said, duh. And, and the slave who stood up and demanded that his master treat him like an equal before the Lord would have been reproved by Paul if he had been there. The slave wasn't getting the point. But imagine what would have happened in that church in Ephesus if the disrespectful wife heard the letter read out loud as it was and stood up and said, I get it. Husband, I am so sorry for not submitting to your authority as the head of our house. I, I will do better. Or if the dad stood up after hearing this and said to his son, please forgive me for provoking you to anger. Do you think that those people particularly if there is follow-through by the previously disrespectful wife and the provoking father, do you think, do you think there, that would have impacted that community in a powerful way? You, you bet it would have. 
Or how many parents would not want to give the world to a child that truly honored and obeyed them? Or, or what wife would not naturally, almost instinctually, do what Paul instructs them to do if their husband actually did what Paul instructed the husband to do? Imagine what would happen if we actually did what was our responsibility rather than spent time on how others behave towards us. So with all of that said, what does it mean? It means that husbands, if your wife is not submitting to you, then you're to call her out and tell her to obey the scriptures. Wrong. Husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And wives... It's your job to remind your husband that he is supposed to love you and die in serving you. No. It means you are to submit to your husband as to the Lord. And children, you are to remind your parents that they are not to provoke you to anger. I could go on. And this isn't just with family relationships. Have you heard the phrase, you do you and I do me? Anybody ever heard that phrase? Normally, it is meant as an in-your-face, back-off statement, and it's usually not very kindly meant. But the truth is, said with the right heart and applied to yourself rather than vomited at somebody else, it is actually correct. I need to do me. You need to do you, not the other way around. We need to focus on what we are supposed to be doing, not what the other is doing. And here's the wonderful part of that, is if we do, we're likely going to get what we want from the person in the relationship anyway. But there is also something much bigger going on in this text. Beyond these very specific, practical, and relevant instructions Paul is giving to this young church on on how they are to behave to each other. We are to subject ourselves to each other and respect Christ. I'm sorry, I just skipped two pages. Um, and and this, what, this other thing that is going on is actually found in verses 32 and 33. This is kind of a, a diamond in the midst of a bunch of gems. And, and so what I want to do for the rest of the message is, is pick this up and look at it. So here, verse 32 and verse 33. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ. He's talking about the husband-wife relationship. I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The first thing we see is that this text tells us as a church how we, as a church, are to act towards our head 
our Lord. We are to submit to him because he is our head and we are his body. Now, I don't know about your body, but my arm seldom wants to declare independence from the rest of my body. And the rest of my body usually hurts and responds with concern when I drop something on my toe. And my neck really wants to go where my head goes. Why do we, as Christ's body, act so different than that? Why do we want to be something other than what we were made to be? Why do we not care the way we could and should about other parts of the body that are hurting? Why, why do we choose to go our own way? And when you think about the reality, it, it just simply isn't natural anymore for us to do that. Once we become part of Christ's body and we simply behave like what and who we are. Our job as the church is to remember who we are and then submit to Jesus. And verse 33 also says that we have to respect him as our head. That is our job as a church and as individuals in the church. That's it. Our relationship, our job and our relationship with Christ is to submit to him, which means trusting him and subjecting ourselves to him and to giving him the respect that he is rightly due. And if we considered what he has done and is doing and how awesome he is, it, it, it shouldn't be that difficult. We are to subject ourselves to him and respect Christ. That is our part. His list is longer and much harder. And keep in mind through all this, unlike us who will struggle with our end of the relationship for some reason, he does not struggle. So, so what is his end? Well, verse 23 says, he is our savior. Now, this is not just a religious term or office. We were destined for eternal judgment and hell because of our sins and our absolute inability to do anything to fix ourselves. And he saved us. We were lost forever. We were to be damned forever. And we were entirely helpless. And he, entirely out of love for us, saved us at uncalculable cost to himself. And that's just the beginning of what it means for him to be our savior. Then verse 25 says, he loved us so much that he gave us his life with the purpose that he would sanctify us, which means he would set us apart and, and make us special and holy and worthy of service in the most holy and valuable of things. There's a reference to the temple. We might not fully appreciate what's in this. This is not a change in status that's as simple as prince, as pauper to, to prince or bad to good 
or even from dead to alive. We were worthy only of judgment and separation from the perfect and holy God, and he has made us new and more special and purer and more set apart for glorious things than we can even comprehend. And, and we're not just sitting there. We shouldn't be. We, we, we have the privilege of being used by the all-powerful, loving God of the universe for the most holy and special purpose. We get to make him known. We get to give water to people dying of thirst. And, and this position we now have cost his life. He held nothing back. And he did it so that we would not just be spared from the last judgment that we were due, but that we would be set apart, made more valuable than we could ever imagine, worthy of service in the most important of things. And, and our part is merely to submit to him and respect him. And verse 26 says, he cleansed us. Of what? Of all of our sins. Of all of our impurities. Of all of the things that create a barrier between us and God. Of all of the garbage that the enemy wants to remind us of. Of our failures. Of our shame. He washed it all away forever. He made us clean. We are new. And while we often do not believe this, because we think that that old sinful flesh that we too frequently put on like a cloak after taking off Christ, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, that, that old sinful self is not us anymore. We, we're not that. The dirt is gone. We are clean. If you are in Christ, you are a child of God who is pure and clean and beautiful and worthy of the reverence of the angels, which they understand, even though we might not. He has saved us, and He gave Himself for us, and He cleansed us. The text goes on. And he is going to present us to himself in splendor and without wrinkle or any such thing and make us holy without blemish. That is our now. That's our future. That's what he's doing and has done. He is going to take us, his church, and present us to himself in splendor and absolutely without any faults. And these are not empty words. While we struggle with our end, He does not. He will do it and is doing it even now. Our job is to submit to Him and respect Him. He does the rest. And then, according to the text... He even loves us as his own body because we are 
his body. He cannot hate us or despise us, but instead he nourishes us and cherishes us because we are part of him. Brothers and sisters, we as the church got the better end of the bargain in this relationship. Shouldn't our natural response be to want to submit to him, to subordinate our will to his, and give him the respect he is due? As I close today, I want to encourage you to consider how in your relationships you can properly do you and let those who you are in relationship with do them. These relationships we're in are all about us, about how we are to act, not about how others are to act towards us. But even more so, I want you to consider, think about it through the week, what this text tells us about Jesus and about his love and his care for us. Bathe in that. Grasp that. And then let us submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And let us, as his church, truly submit to and respect our head, Jesus, the one who is worthy of all praise and honor and glory and thanks, the one who loves us. Let's pray. Father, we stand before you as your church. And what you have done in Jesus is beyond our comprehension. That you have loved us and cared for us and redeemed us and cleansed us and sanctified us and promised us a perfect future. That you've included us with the privilege of making you known. Father, help us to respect you the way you deserve and help us to submit and subject ourselves to you, our most precious Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.